Good morning. I trust that you are all doing very well today. I want to thank Mountain View Community Church for offering the wonderful facilities for us to come in here and to uh, record this video. I particularly want to thank Pastor Mark for reaching out to us. If you know people from Mountain View, I would uh, ask that you thank them for allowing us to use their facilities to uh, record these videos. It's been a very difficult times the last few weeks. There's a lot of uh, panic in the news media. There's a lot of panic among people who are uh, just out and about or not out and about, depending on who you are. And there's a lot of fear. People are fearing their uh, loss of their jobs or fearing the loss of their health. They're fearing many different things. The world is in disarray and the future is uncertain. And it's easy to get caught up into the fear of the moment and, and, and of the future even as well. So we ask these questions like, what happens if I lose my health? Or what if my retirement savings is, is wiped out, never to come back? Or, or what if I lose my job? How will I provide for my family? Fortunately, believers in Jesus Christ, we have antidotes to that kind of fear, the fear of loss and the, the fear of losing our health and those sort of things. And so today I'd like to suggest three things as antidotes to overcoming these kind of fears. The first and the, the greatest is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is to immerse ourselves in the love of God. It's helpful to remember the gospel. We deserve God's wrath for we worship ourselves rather than our creator and we, ref we refuse to give him thanks for, uh, for the glory that he deserves. So Romans 1, 18 and 21 says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. The Bible doesn't paint a very pretty picture of uh, unredeemed man. Here's what the Bible has to say about unredeemed man from Ephesians chapter two. He says that we were by nature children of wrath and in Adam, we gave ourselves over to desires of the flesh and the pleasures of this world and Satan the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 3 says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's not a very pretty picture at all. As a matter of fact, there's a little phrase at the very end of that, those verses of verse number three, it says, we were by nature children of wrath. And in, in the original, that literally is talking about destination. You could put in there children destined for wrath. That is a picture of all unredeemed mankind. But you know what? Our God, who is rich in mercy, he poured out his love on us by making us alive, those of us who were dead in our trespasses and sin. And so Ephesians 2 continues in verses four and five to say, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, by grace you have been saved. God loved his enemies even when we were dead in sin. 
immerse yourself in the love of God. He didn't send his son to, to condemn us, but to save us. John 3, 16 to 18 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will, will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned and whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. You see, Jesus was sent into the world, a world that he created, the world that rebelled against his rule. He died for sin so that they might be saved. The righteous for the unrighteous, the creator for the creature, the king for his subjects, the just for the unjust. What marvelous love is this? What does all this have to do with fear, you might ask yourself? Well, let me answer it this way. If God loves us so, if he has forgiven us our sins and rebellion, if he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness, then we have nothing to fear. As the Apostle Paul explains, there is no loss in this world that compares to the joy of gaining Christ in Philippians chapter three, verses seven to nine, in speaking about his relationship to God and, and that any loss is inconsequential. He says this in verse number seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted for loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness that depends uh, on faith and it comes from God. Every suffering and pain that we face can be born because we know that God loves us and he loves us with an unquenchable love in every circumstance. And so the Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. And so one antidote to fear is to immerse ourselves in the love of God. The second antidote is to be rooted in the sovereignty of God. It's one thing to worship a loving God who is impotent who can't affect change, who can't do anything at all, who's powerless. What use is it to worship a powerless God if he cannot make things happen? Love from that kind of God isn't very appealing, is it? But what if that love, a love that we experience comes from a God who not only can make things change, but is actually sovereign over every detail of life? Wouldn't that make a difference? It's not only the case with God that God loves us, but he also rules and reigns over all things. The Lord declared the end from the beginning. His purposes and his counsels will stand. Isaiah 49 or 46 verses nine and 10 say this, remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Listen to what he does. He goes on to say, declaring the end from the beginning, 
from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Nothing can enter our lives apart from his sovereign will. For he rules over even where the lot falls. Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. This verse means literally that there are ultimately no random acts. There's no chance of acts. I remember when I was a child riding my bicycle in central Illinois, and I'd ride as fast as I could. My hair, I don't have hair now, but when I had hair blowing in the wind, just going as fast as I could, and occasionally I'd either suck a bug down my throat or I'd get one in my eye. And, and so when I think about the, the sovereignty of God, even I would say it like this, that there's no random acts. God even controls the bugs that land in our eyes. There's nothing that God is not in control of. That means that there are no chance events, no ruler or authority can harm us. For the Lord turns the heart of the king whichever way he wishes. Proverbs 21, verse one says, a king's heart is in the hand of, or is, I'm sorry, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. The idea here is that he's, he's building a canal and he makes that canal go wherever he wants. And that's what he does with the kings. Psalm 115, verse number three says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He brings a council of nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Psalm 33:10. Jesus tells us that not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from God's will. Matthew 10:29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. If he watches over the sparrows, then he watches over the hairs of our head because even the hairs of our head are numbered. This doesn't mean that, that facing these kinds of situations it, it, are ever easy. It's, it's not easy to face these kinds of situations. And from a human perspective, we wish that they would never happen. If you happen to get sick with the coronavirus or you happen to have a, a diagnosis of cancer or you lose your job, you don't wish for those things to happen, do you? But these kinds of situations, even though they're not easy, they're brought to you graciously by a sovereign God. The great comfort in all these events is that they come from a loving God, sovereign over all events, small and large, the ones are perceived to be good and the ones are perceived to be bad. And so the first antidote to fear is to immerse ourselves in, in the love of God. And the second antidote to fear is to, uh, uh, to just, um, revel in the sovereignty of God, to be rooted in his sovereignty. And there's a third thing. There's a third antidote, and that is to trust in the promises of God. The Bible is full of promises, and we are to trust God's promises, but we must remember where and what those promises are. God never promises that everything will turn out the way we wish in this life. He never does. And even though God doesn't promise us a comfortable life, his promises are amazingly comforting. We recognize that the sorrows and worries of life can strike us like a hurricane. One moment 
um, it's quiet and at peace and all is well. And then suddenly the winds of worry are blowing us as there's a sea of change going on all around us. And when Satan attacks, we must remember God's promises. Romans 8:32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has done the hardest thing imaginable. He has handed over his son when we were his enemies so that we might pass from uh, life into death into eternity in heaven with him. We can be sure then that God will give us everything that we need. When we fear, we're like David. You remember how David's life was? He wrote about fear many times. And one time in Psalm 139, he feared that darkness would engulf him. And so in verse number 11, he said this, if I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me shall be night. Think about that. Have you ever been in a time where it feels like all around you is darkness and you, it just seems like there is no light? In his fear, David in Psalm 139 continued in verse number 12 by saying this, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as a day for darkness is as light with you. Can sometimes be dark? The answer is yes. But with God, we can see through the darkness. In fact, the promise of his presence adds light to our lives. That's how David can say in Psalm 27, verse number one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We, dear believer, have nothing to be afraid of. For death isn't the final reality. We serve the Lord who raised Jesus from the dead and we are guaranteed an eternity of happy tomorrows when we get to the other side. When dark times come, we're, we're driven to necessities, aren't we? I had an interesting experience this last week. Heather and I went to the grocery store and yes, in case you're wondering, we bought toilet paper. But we went to the grocery store and it was, it was, it was very odd. I felt like I was in a third world grocery store Venezuela or something like that. The shelves in certain areas were just empty. I was thinking, I looked at Heather and I said, who would have thought that people love black beans as much as they did? I mean, the beans, the, the pinto beans and, and everything, they were all just wiped out. I didn't even know people liked to eat those things. But the reason that they like to eat them is that they're necessities. You know, there was one aisle in the grocery store that looked like it was virtually untouched. You know what that was? It was a candy aisle. The candy aisle looked like it was completely stocked. You could have bought any kind of candy you wanted. You see, in times of abundance, it's easy to forget fundamental truths. The goodness of creation, the holiness of God, the reality of sin, the suddenness of suffering, the inevitability of death and the need for salvation. And we can create the illusion that we are in control. And we expect the church to come 
beside us sometimes for tips for better living, something that will sweeten our life here on earth, much like the candy aisle, a life that we've cooked up for ourselves. But what people like and what people need are two different things. When suffering hits and exposes our weakness, we encounter the frightening diagnosis or the sudden illness or the loss of income. It's not the sweets that satisfy, it's the staples that satisfy. And so when we turn to the word of God in times of suffering, we want the meat of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We wanna know that God is there, that he has a plan, and that in all of eternity, everything's gonna be all right. What satisfies us is to turn our eyes to the Lord. Many of our most beloved Psalms were written by David. And I know I mentioned this already, but I'm gonna mention it again. David spent much of his early life running for his life, knowing that he could turn the corner and his life be snuffed out. And most of the Psalms of David were written during these times. And do you know what sustained him during these times when he was running away from Saul? What sustained him were the same truths that we just rehearsed. Psalm 63 is a very beloved Psalm. And it's one such Psalm that he was, he was running from Saul and it's quite possibly that he wrote this Psalm in a cave. Hiding in a cave, possibly. Here are his words in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is greater than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help and the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you your right hand upholds me. In dark times, David didn't turn to his skills. He didn't turn to his personality. He didn't turn and put his trust in men. David put his trust and his joy and his satisfaction in the God that he knew, God Almighty. His life was legitimately in danger and yet he had joy because he knew the Lord. Can you say that because you knew the Lord, you, you know the Lord, you have joy in your life even when times are dark? Now, take David for just a moment. Picture him hiding in that cave for his life, writing that, meditating on the Lord and, and writing that psalm. Now let's fast forward a couple decades. This time though, he's rich. He's in a palace. He's got everything he needs and more. And yet we find him not meditating on the Lord at this time. Instead, he's meditating on a woman bathing herself on her roof. You see, the time of ease for David had gotten his eyes off the Lord. That is the natural state of man. 
when we have times of ease, we take our eyes off the Lord and we begin to focus on the sweet things of this life instead of the essential things of our relationship with the Lord. When you look at David, to my knowledge, after this point, when he saw Bathsheba and did what he did, to my knowledge, he never wrote another Psalm that's recorded in scripture. He may have, but I'm not sure of that for sure. Dear friend, ask yourself what God is trying to purify in your life. Don't resist him in these purifying moments. He is making us more like Christ. Don't give in to fear and anxiety. Instead, immerse yourself in the love of God. If you're saved, then you are an object of his eternal love. And for all of eternity, you will feel his love in ever increasing and abounding ways. Be rooted in the sovereignty of God, knowing that the Lord who loves you reigns and nothing happens by chance. And finally, trust the promises of God. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will bring you through. And in the end, you will enjoy an eternity of bright and perfect days. Dear Christian, these days, no matter what they turn out to be like, financially or uh, pandemic-wise, it doesn't matter. These days, it is time for us to have joy in the Lord, to be a church, to glorify him. Don't cower in fear, but instead raise your hands and joyously thank the Lord that this life is not all that there is because you're living for eternity for him. What a wonderful privilege we have. Let's pray together. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the promises of scripture. We thank you for the the, the love of God that we can immerse ourselves in. You love us more than we can ever imagine. You love us more than we love ourselves. You love us more than we love others. And you love us more than we love you. Lord, help us to immerse ourselves in your love. We pray, Lord, that we will um, understand the sovereignty of God and how that a God who loves us and is a sovereign God means that there's no way that we should fear anything knowing, Lord, that you brought all things our way and it's all for our good and for your honor and for your glory. And Lord, I pray that we will trust your promises, that we will look forward in that future hope, knowing that one day all right, wrongs will be righted, that everything imperfect will be made perfect, and we will spend a glorious future in heaven where there is no night, there is no fear, there is no darkness, there is no sickness, no pain or sorrow, no surprise, Lord, just an ever unending ceasing, uh, never ceasing joy in heaven. Lord, we thank you for who you are and glorify and praise you in Christ's name, amen.